Welcome, everybody. We are back with our How to Deal podcast with Brittany Rison, me here, the Health and Wellness Outreach Counselor. And we are joined today by Dr. Rebecca Howard. And she is going to talk to us about how to talk to your professor about problems. Dr. Howard, we are very grateful to have you here with us today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Now we'll get right into it just so we can start uh, tackling some of these questions that I know students have, have had before, have come in contact with, to see how we can best serve them. But just to start us off, could you tell us more about yourself and your academic department? Uh, yeah, sure. So I am Dr. Rebecca Howard, um, and I'm part of the Department of Art. Uh, I'm not an artist, though. I'm an art historian. So I get to study all like the cool artifacts from the past and use these forms of visual culture to understand certain histories. Um, my specialization is the Italian Renaissance, but I teach introductory courses that go from like the Renaissance to the present day. Um, and I also teach upper level undergraduate and graduate courses that focus on like the Renaissance and Baroque periods. Um, but my, my department is massive. <laughs> uh, I think we're like the third largest in the university or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I teach within our, what is called our global art histories program. Mm -hmm. uh, but many of the other students in our undergraduate and graduate programs take art history courses too. So I interact, I think with like a large percentage of our department. Uh, I teach, you know, art history intro survey classes that are taken also by all kinds of majors. Um, so outside of the department too. And yeah, my department has like undergraduate programs in not only art history, but also art education, fashion design and merchandising, art design foundations, um, graphic design, various studio arts. So like painting and sculpture and ceramics and printmaking. And we also have several graduate degrees too, um, in art history, art education, and, and studio arts and graphic design. Um, and we have a certificate program in museum studies. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, goodness. Yeah, it's a lot, but um, it's really, I love being in a department that has so many like creative, intelligent, diverse faculty and students. Absolutely. It is it is a, a just a feeling of abundance to be around all of those creative minds and all of those experiences and just to throw in art as well. So much expression in different walks of life that come into that. I know that is wonderful. And so, yeah. so it's, there is no shortage on student engagement and experience that I imagine you would have, like the different folks you may come in contact with, the questions, interactions you get. Um, I, I can only imagine the stories that you, you may have um, right. when it comes to so so many students you see the student experience move into the to the next one what is your view of student experience on the college campus since you are able to come in contact with so many uh, folks um yeah i you know i think the student experience on a on a college campus is a wonderful but difficult one mm -hmm. uh it's like a transformative time in a person's life so whether you're coming right out of high school or deciding to pursue a college degree later in life um, perhaps while you're even like raising children or working um, or after, <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 a complicated time in your life, I think. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been at the University of Memphis for just a little over two years, so I'm actually still pretty new here. Uh, but I think that what I've seen is that like the things that make Memphis special 
also make this university special. Yeah. Um, like Memphis is very cool. It's very cultured. It's artsy. It's very diverse. Mm-hmm. And these are like the things that I love about the university too. Um, and I just feel, I feel like I've noticed, you know, that students here seem to really like being part of the university community too. Um, and I think that that's a really special part of the college experience, just like building community and building friendships. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think uh, another thing I think is really special about the student body and the student experience here is that a lot of students um, are working like full-time jobs while going to school, are on scholarships or other types of grants. Um, and I think many are first-generation students. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the students here, I guess I'm trying to say like they're living very normal, but often very stressful adult lives yes. um, while pursuing higher education. And I think that's amazing, <laughs> but it also means that sometimes, you know, things are gonna get hard. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just really like endlessly impressed <laughs> by the <laughs> students here. Uh, I was actually first generation in uh, in my family to complete a college degree. Uh, and that, that was tough. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, I think it, it made me reach out to my professors a lot. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to do this because uh, that was so invaluable to me and I, it's something I want to pass along to my students. Um, but yeah, I kind of went off <laughs> on a tangent here. Oh, I think it, it's perfect that, that you, like this, this free flow going right into the next question really is, is helpful to have this sort of forethought as a first gen stu- former student yourself, um, having that understanding of what students could be going through means uh, so much to them, I'm sure, to have the understanding to be a kindred spirit in this student experience. Like you mentioned, it's wonderful, but it's also very stressful. So what would you think, um, to the next question, what is your role as a professor in student well-being? So, and, and feel free to speak like in general terms or like in your own personal experiences, what do you find your role to be um, when when we think of students and in the, in their wellness? Right. Um, I think that the professor's role in student well-being extends so far beyond the classroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for me, it does. Um, and I've had students come to me for help in like connecting with available resources on campus, um, all kinds for all kinds of reasons really over the years. Uh, I like to think it's because I try to embody like a welcoming persona in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I genuinely like do not want any of my students to struggle. Um, If I have the ability to help them, I will. Um, But, you know, I think that being said, like even though a professor's role definitely extends beyond the classroom, it definitely, of course, starts in the classroom because that's your first like point of interaction with students. So I swear like almost every day in class, my students can attest to this. I am constantly reminding them to email me if they need anything, to stop by my office if they need anything. Uh And it probably gets annoying, but I'm like, please, please, please email me as many times as you want to, as late as you want to. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, I try to just make sure that they know I'm really there for them. And I also try to give in the classroom, I try to give like really good instructions for assessments and really helpful feedback and 
because it's I think those like class related details that show that I really care about their success um, Mm -hmm. in all aspects of life. Uh, And if students are obviously struggling, I'll I'll reach out to them, um, usually like directly to see if we can work through course related issues together or if I can help them find the right campus resources that they need. So, you know, the professor's role in student well-being, I guess, is is really just to, like, pay attention to their students mm-hmm. and show empathy when it's needed. Um, I think it's important for professors to remember that we're all people. Mm-hmm. We all might be struggling with things. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Just that stepping back and removing titles, student professor, and just being on the same level just as humans and, and how we connect that way. Wow. So, oh, so you you being this welcoming sort of source for students, extending beyond the classroom and checking on them, paying attention to them, um, opening the door for communication is, is one thing. As you, you said, every class, like email me, tell me what you need. Um, a student walking through that door is another thing. So, so when they do come to you, if they do email you and reach out, what are the most common things they're concerned about or what are they most commonly reaching out about um, as far as questions or concerns? Yeah. Um, So I think what I've noticed, um, so I've only been at University of Memphis for a couple years, but I've taught at three other institutions. Um, And what I've noticed that like college students are typically concerned about, I think are the things that just most adults are concerned about, like money, Uh um, (laughs) time, Uh relationships. I've definitely had students, you know, come talk to me very candidly about relationships um so things things like that um and it just makes sense because again this is such a huge like transitional time in people's lives um and you know I think like on that note uh, I'm sure that this podcast has covered like the various resources that are available on campus but uh but repeating. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The I think um what do we have? Like the uh the counseling center, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's the tiger pantry for like students with food insecurities. There's the Office of Institutional Equity and, and Title IX, uh, which can help with like those experiencing discrimination or sexual mm-hmm. misconduct. Yes. Um there's LGBTQ plus. Uh, and multicultural affairs contacts, Um, the Office of Disability Resources, which I feel like I am in touch with a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I'm sure many others that I'm not even aware of or that I'm forgetting right now, but but I think, you know, I, I hope that, I love what you're doing here because I hope that it just reminds students that like, even if you don't know where to look, Mm-hmm. Um, someone can help you figure it out. And whether that's me or, you know, one of your professors, your academic advisor, like, but really like the most important step is just telling someone that you want help, like reaching out, they'll help you find the right resources. Um, and, and yeah, again, I think just the most common student concerns that I see are just these very normal adult things. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I hope students remember that, uh, that it's totally fine. It's normal. Like probably some of your professors are struggling with the same things too. Yeah. Yeah. 
to go back to your point, we're all people, right? So we all have yeah. the same similar stresses and struggles um, that our students or faculty would have. But I love you bringing up all of our other resources, Tiger Pantry, OIE, DRS, like all these things are absolutely available to our students. And you're right, a lot of them just don't know. And that's why here in the Counseling Center at the Sidebar, we want to get more connected to faculty and staff because you guys are the ones who are going to have that first contact with students. Um, normally, a student doesn't come to a, a university because of the Counseling Center. No, they come <laughs> to learn and take classes. Um, and, and then by that way, they'll, they'll come visit us. So we want to make sure that, that you all, we want to have the resources and know what's available so you can, can convey the message. And if you even if you don't know it, um, know some Someone who might know it so you can connect it, connect it to them. But but as we think of those students who are reaching out to you, which is great, and you're able to provide those resources. I'm also thinking about the students who are, of course, my printer is like going off. <laughs> We're also thinking about the students who may not reach out. Um, the students who maybe you see evidence of struggle, but they're not saying anything. So how do you know, or how would you know a student's well-being is at risk? And, and what are some things you have noticed in the past? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think this, this definitely ties back to the question of like a professor's role in student well-being. Mm -hmm. um, even in my larger introductory courses, I feel like I'm pretty good at catching when students have just like maybe stopped participating at the same degree um, that they were before or they're missing class with more frequency or they seem like they're dazed or off in another world during class like stuff like that. Um, I, I think I'm very attuned to that personally. Um, I'm not sure if everyone is, but I know we all try to be. Um, and, and sometimes I'll reach out to students to just say like, hey, like just wanna make sure everything's okay because like this thing seems out of character for you. Um, but I will say that like, I have found that it's easier for me to do that with students who have taken more than one class with me because I get to actually feel like I get to know them. Yeah. Um, and then I really see when things are out of character. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try to reach out when when it just seems like something's off, like, and you can kind of tell if you're paying attention again to like your students demeanor. Um, oh, and one thing I really like here about uh, the University of Memphis is the early intervention system. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've I've used this something similar to this at other institutions I've worked at, but it if uh, students aren't aware of this, it allows us to mark things like low attendance or low online engagement. Yes. Um, and and we can put some comments in and and then someone will reach out to you. Usually it's the first point of contacts, your advisor. But then, like, you know, if if your professors aren't reaching out directly to you, then hopefully they're at least using the early intervention system um, and and then maybe that way students are at least helped uh, in getting connected to the sources that they might need. I like that. So uh, thank you for mentioning that too as well. So having that system where we can keep up with what students are, what's going on, how we can maybe uh, express concern in a way that isn't necessarily ringing alarms, but just bringing it to the forefront of our attention to make sure we can catch something before it becomes something mm -hmm. that's a crisis or an emergency. I like that. Yeah. Um, 
So if a student were to have these problems, maybe have some, some alarming things you're noticing in them and they come to you with an issue, um, what methods should a student use to inform you about their concerns or problems? Like for example, if something is happening in their lives and this may impact their performance in class, whether it's something like an absence or not doing well or personal things that are interrupting their thought patterns, however it may happen, how would you prefer they communicate that to you or how would that uh, conversation even start? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think I most commonly see or have students like staying for a few minutes after class to talk with me. Um, and I've also had students email me and it's like weird that I'm saying this as a college professor, but I personally even have trouble saying things like in person when something's going on. So I know students, that's hard. Like, uh, so sometimes writing is easier. So, you know, students sometimes will email me um, and, and then maybe we'll start the conversation on email and then we'll move it to like a meeting on Zoom or in person. Um, so I really, I welcome like any way that a student wants to inform me that something may impact their class performance. I just want to know. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably the consensus across like the faculty is that if we don't know, we can't help you. And literally all we want to do is help students get the most out of the class and the most out of their college experience that they can. So, um, so just let us know, you know, sooner rather than later, especially yeah. if, if there's something you want to talk about. Yeah, I like this. So just just figure out, just tell us, right? It's not like either whether it's after class or any email, just let let you know at some point if as soon as something happens, if possible, or or mm -hmm. as soon as possible. So not the night before the exam, <laughs> if, if we can avoid it. Yeah, yeah, if you can avoid it. But you know, stuff comes up too. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay, so yeah, so just opening that door. And I think like you mentioned before, um, it's easier to do when you've had a student maybe a couple times in class, you have that rapport and like relationship uh, b between each other. And I'm, when I think about higher education sometimes in, in the transition from high school to, to higher education, it, it is a little bit harder. Um, you're not necessarily seeing the same teachers in rotation from eight to four every day. You're not necessarily seeing the same people to build those casual interactions, to build that rapport. So maybe it is a little bit challenging sometimes to feel comfortable to approach a professor. Um, but the way you present yourself just here, and, and even as you talk about classes and your students, I would hope students would feel, even if, if it's just one or two interactions, to go ahead and make that initial contact because that's why professors are here that's why you all are here are to help uh beyond the classroom and, and we will hope that with this podcast and other things they build that comfort to do so so yeah. we do appreciate you just a side bit of for gratitude just thank you <laughs> for that um now i know you mentioned before uh just email email anytime get in touch anytime you can but i also want to be respectful of any boundaries that, that are in place when it comes to uh, emails and, and communication. So what are the limitations or boundaries students should be mindful of when reaching out uh, to their faculty or professors? Yeah, I think, uh, so a couple of things. Um, I think it's important to remember that because of like FERPA laws, we cannot, professors cannot talk like directly about grades um, over email. Um, so that's something that has to be done like 
in person or you know in a meeting um, especially final grades like maybe a grade on an assignment can be discussed over email but but yeah not not final grades um but you know i think maybe the most important limitation to remember is that your professors are required to report any title nine related information Mm -hmm. um so this includes like information about sexual assault, domestic violence, dating violence, um, stalking. Uh, It's important to keep this in mind. And we are trained to stop a student. Like if it seems like they're about to tell us something, just to let them know that we have this mandatory reporting. It's a reminder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's so it's good to keep that in mind. Okay. Okay, I like that. So just having in mind, um, uh, being mandated reporters, um, FERPA about grades. Um, also, uh, any boundaries when it comes to time or time limits of response responding to emails too. I know sometimes um, students would really want like a uh, emails to be like text messages, and they're not quite like that. So yeah. any any thoughts on that bit of it too? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I guess. Like I tell my students that I'm going to get back to them within 24 hours, um, unless it's like a weekend. Uh, but honestly, I I usually do anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess maybe don't don't expect something immediately, uh, but just know that that your professors are going to get back to you as soon as they can. Um, and on that note. Um, Sometimes our lives get really hectic and an email gets lost in in the ether. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so if you haven't heard back from us, like it's okay to email us again um, <laughs> and just be like, hey, did you see my email? Um, because it's not because we're ignoring you. I mean, at least it's not because I am. Uh, and we we want to help. We just somehow lost track. <laughs> Yeah, no, again, going back to what we're humans, right? It, it, yeah. it, gets, lost. it gets lost. Um, so yes, I love that. So being mindful of if it's an email, give it at least 24, 40 hours response. Then to follow up if sometimes I, I do this, hey, I'm just sending this to put this back on the top of your email list. Yeah. If you are any sort of university person, you know that you get emails from all kinds of places, all kinds of times, all kinds of days. So it's easy for something to get lost or shuffled to another folder or something or deleted even by accident mm-hmm. it happens. Um, right. So I like that, keeping that in mind too. Um, so a lot of good practices, keeping a welcoming environment for students to come to you when they have a problem, what you notice in students when they have a problem. So when we just think about care or the environment of a classroom, uh, how do you, or if, if you have at all, if possible, implemented any sort of like trauma-informed care or mental health practices in your classroom as a professor? And what do those look like for you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess, like, just as I've said, I, I try to make sure my students all know that I'm there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really try to practice what I preach by like getting back to students quickly and keeping my office door open whenever I'm there. Um, And there's a note outside my office that's like, please just come say hi, (laughs) I like to see you. Um, But also as an art historian, what what this does mean is that I sometimes have to teach about like sensitive topics. Um, And I do make sure that my students 
know at the beginning of a course and then I remind them periodically throughout that sometimes we're going to talk about things that might make them feel uncomfortable. Um, I mean, we look at images of like war, political unrest, exploitation of peoples, um, sex, various religions, um, things like that. So uh, also before we're, we're looking at like particularly graphic or potentially upsetting works, I try to just give them like a heads up. Um, but I also reiterate the importance of looking at and discussing things that might make us feel uncomfortable. Um, but you know, like it is honestly a constant like struggle for me because I worry every semester that I might be showing something or talking about something that brings up like certain trauma for a student. Um, but I also don't want to avoid these difficult issues either because it's, I think that would be like a disservice to my students. So I guess the best I can do is keep reminding them that I'm there to talk. Um, I also, you know, I'll tell students if they need to leave the room, like mm -hmm. they're always welcome to do what's best for them. Um, and and keep reminding them I'm there to help them find the resources they need, uh, things like that. But it's it's a hard like line to walk. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. I mean, because art is is expression of, of free expression and, and sometimes what people express can be hard for other folks to view or interpret. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that you have that option. So if this is uncomfortable in any other way or bringing about anything, you, you give them the ability to you know, maybe excuse themselves for that for that situation or for that moment. And I think a big part of, of trauma-informed care or mental health practices is giving a sense of agency uh, to folks who are, who are feeling uh, elevated in that moment because a lot of times in traumatic situations, that sense of choice is taken away uh, mm -hmm. from them. So to give that back, I think is a big, a big piece of, of trauma-informed care. So I think that could be extremely helpful for folks. Well, I hope so. Yes, yes. I hope I'm doing what I can. Yes, yes, doing what you can. Okay, so having have that option in class, um, making sure you're available, showing that that commitment and that availability to them, that openness, being really important factors to mental health practices. So I appreciate that, Dr. Cowan. I appreciate that um, your students have that opportunity to in encounter those and have those options and, and sort of have that first contact with maybe some mental health care, whether they know it or not. I know it's not direct <laughs> services, um, but no one office has a monopoly on wellness or well-being. So it, it's inserted in every, every office and everywhere that we are on campus. Mm -hmm. um, but to, to wrap up last thoughts, um, when you think of a student, what advice would you give a student um, who is struggling mentally and finding it difficult to stay on track in class? And at what point uh, should they reach out to you? Mm -hmm. um, so always, always reach out sooner rather than later, which we've, we've kind of already talked about. Yeah. Um, it just, it seriously breaks my heart when a student tells me like at the end of the semester that something's been going on yeah. that's affected their performance. And, and I'm like, oh gosh, like we would have worked this out. Like I would have worked with you. We would have figured something out, but it's hard to know, you yeah. know, sometimes. And, and as attentive as I try to be, sometimes I miss it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. People are good at disguising their emotions oh, too. Yeah. So yeah, of <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I know it's hard to speak up for yourself sometimes and you might, maybe you even feel like ashamed about getting behind on your schoolwork or ashamed about what's going on but 
but I just want students to know that like the vast majority of us really just want to help you. Um, so don't feel, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel scared or, you know, just, just talk to us. Um, and it's much easier to help you get back on track if you reach out to us sooner. Uh, and again, you know, I know it's hard. So if you're having trouble reaching out to like individual professors, uh, maybe you can just let your academic advisor know. Um, they'll work on like getting you the help that you need. And, and there are university systems in place to like inform your professors that something's going on if that's what's needed. Um, so, you know, I think I, I would also like to say that just personally, um, it's taken me a long time to be able to talk like candidly about my own mental health. Um, so I understand the difficulty in reaching out for help and like speaking up for yourself. Um, I still don't always necessarily take my own advice. <laughs> so, um, but just, I think what I'd like all the students here to remember is that um, we're here for you and we're gonna try to help you however we can because your professors just want you to have the best college experience that you can possibly have. Goodness, thank you so much, Dr. Howard, for that. I mean, from, from coming from your own experiences as first gen to now becoming a professor, I can only imagine it is an absolute joy for students to, to come in contact with you, experience your classes and your warmth and being able to have that in, involved in their student experience. So we appreciate you for today, your time, your vulnerability, your openness, your honesty. I really hope students are able to take away something that will give them the encouragement to reach out um, to their faculty or staff or professors for help and, and open that door of communication because that is definitely what we're all about. But, um, but this has been excellent information, um, remembering all of our resources, of course, here at the Counseling Center. Um, Dean's office has a wealth of information and a wealth of resources too as well. If that's something you're looking for, check out our website, memphis.edu slash counseling uh, to get updated on all those resources. And until next time, thank you again, Dr. Howard. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Good, good. Till next time.